You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, we are in historic times. I can't think in my lifetime, at any given moment, I have five of my teams are either currently in first place or finished their season in first place. I have... My Florida Gators leading the SEC East. I have Tottenham Hotspur leading the Premier League. I have my Tampa Bay Rays winning the AL East. I had my Tampa Bay Lightning winning the uh, their division and ultimately winning the Stanley Cup. And I have my first place New York football giants. What a time to be alive and what a time to be me. Oh, and I'll even, I'll even, and I'll even throw a six in there. As of right now, the Knicks are in first place with an O and O record. So there you want to get crazy? I've already popped and drank the champagne. <laughs> we are we are beyond. We're we're just basking in the honeymoon period here. Um, the Giants, with a nineteen seventeen victory over the Joe Burrowless Cincinnati Bengals, take control of the NFC East. That is actually, as of this recording, still pending. So if the Eagles manage. To turn this around in the next 20 minutes against the Seahawks, uh, then most of what we just said is uh, null and void. If but, you hear any painful noises in the background, it's just the uh, grinding of gears of the uh, Philadelphia Eagle offense trying to, uh, you know. At, w- at one point, at one drive tonight, we saw that they were averaging something like 8.5 inches a play. Inches. Yeah. Not feet, not yards, inches. Your 2020 Philadelphia Maybe Eagles. That's your, your Doug Peterson offense. Right Congratulations. There. Yeah. How many? What's that contract that uh, Carson Wentz is signed for? This is not, thankfully, this is not the just Eagles podcast because that would be a sad one indeed. Um, <laughs> instead, it is the just Giants podcast where the Giants are now four and seven. They have three, they are what, three and Two in the division. Won three in a row. Yeah, we've won three in a row. Um, it's not a record that you would be really happy to... I mean, that's the kind of record you'd show your parents and they'd hang on the fridge, I guess, because it's first place. But at the end of the day, first place is all that matters. Um, you know, there are a myriad of reasons this team isn't great. This is overachieving being in first place. Um, they're dealing with losing their star player the, the division just has a tough schedule this year, playing teams like the Steelers who are in first place, that they're undefeated. You know, this wasn't an easy road for them, even if they were a regular team with a regular offseason with their star player. This was going to be a tough road. They made what they could make out of it. Yeah, I mean, if you just don't look at the record and don't look at what place they're in and don't even look at what's you know, the road to hope for the rest of the season. And you just look at this team, you know, if this was a collection of what do we play? We played, uh, we played 11 games right now this year. Just, if it was a collection of 11 games, 
that were independent of each other, you would see a team that from week one to week 11 is significantly better. You know, in, in, in every aspect of the game is significantly better. And that was our goal for this year. Remember, we did our preview before the season. We didn't give what, what we thought our record would be or all this. Our goals were we wanted to see improvement. We wanted to see, in spite of the offseason, in spite of the new coaching staff, we wanted to see from the beginning of the season towards the end of the season, the foundation of a new culture and coherence on what they want to do on offense and defense. And we're not just a, a clusterfuck we've seen for the last couple of years. And we, we are down that path right now. And that's all we could hope for. Everything else right now is gravy on top of our leftover Thanksgiving meal. Winning the division is a really, really nice end to Joe Judge's first season, regardless of any sort of record. Uh, winning the division is, is, you know, the cake and eating it too. Um, really what we wanted to see was improvement of this team and moving in the right direction. And not only are we seeing that, we're seeing improvement across the board. We're seeing the defense play better. We're seeing individual guys play better. Andrew Thomas is far better this week than he was week one. And that's what you'd expect. But, you know, when you are a bad team with bad coaching and you're heading down a path that isn't good, I mean, even the good players play badly. Even the high draft picks don't play to their potential. I mean, there's that, that's not to be taken lightly that Andrew Thomas is leaps and bounds beyond where he was week one. You know, guys like Isaac Yadam even is it's still not the kind of guy that you want starting. But compared, but you, to where you he would was like to have him for depth. Yeah, I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's someone you want to think about for 2021. Is he someone who can make this roster next year and be a piece of, you know, the depth of the, of the secondary? And, you know, guys like him in week one were like, well, you know, we need him. We have nobody else. Now, next year, you're actually making some informed decisions based on real competition. Right. You know, they're all getting better. I mean, Daniel Jones, you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot about the injury co- coming up. But is Daniel Jones the same quarterback he was a month ago? No, not at all. I mean, Especially in a new offense, his third offense yeah. in three years. I mean, you know the, the 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 easy catchphrase with him and the easy cliche was turnover machine. And guess what? He's figured out a way to kind of calm that down. I think it's Make, three weeks in a row, no turnovers, right? Yeah, he's making better decisions. He's uh, looks like he's more in command of the offense. The, the offense is more being tailored to what he does best, and not just relying on him just to game manage. So, I mean, everything about this team is looking positive. Now, we're not saying that this is a Super Bowl team. No, we're not saying this is a team that's going to do anything if they do make the playoffs. But we have meaningful games in November where everybody's invested. Every player is not just thinking about the offseason and thinking about their own personal situations. They are fully invested because there is something to play for. And, you know, if Joe Judge is able to get buy-in through week 17 and even an extra for nothing else, another week of practice before a playoff game, that's far ahead of where you know teams in the similar situation, and most of them are in the same division, you know, won't have. So this is all good, all unexpected, and all part of the building process. Absolutely. Um, and it's a shame because Daniel Jones was playing – very well, you know, piggybacking off of 
what we were talking about here, was playing really well up to his injury, which we'll talk about. I guess we might as well jump right into it. But up until his injury, which was midway through the third quarter, he was 16 of 27 for 213 yards, no turnovers. I mean, and also he had he had a touchdown shot that Chris Spielman said was a drop. I think it was a combo of being just out of reach of Darius Slayton and also kind of going off his fingertips. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was a drop, and I'm gonna give Slayton a fart for it. I mean. It, I'll say this. It, it's not squarely on Daniel Jones. I mean, it it's one of those things where Slayton should have caught that, but also I'm not going to sit there and say that, you know, oh, it hit him right in the hands. It didn't. It, it got no, him. No, no, no. It didn't hit him right in the hands, but that is a catchable ball Absolutely, that yeah. for a guy that we we have debates on whether this guy could be a future number one on this team or even, even like, you know, not. what is – Even if he's number what is two, his, that's a catch you have to make. That's a catch in a in – a, when you're playing a bad team on the road where, you know, it's closer than it should be because of a, a punt return, you know, all of these things, that's a play you absolutely have to make. That's a play when Victor Cruz was a rookie and an unheralded rookie coming up was making those plays and you're like, he's forcing you to move him up the depth chart, forcing you to make him a starter, forcing him to be your number one guy. Um it's simply a catch that needs to be made. So if it's not squarely in the numbers, that's not Daniel Jones' number, job to have every pass squarely in the numbers. Yeah, there's also he threw like a, catch a 50 ball. yard pass through the air. Yeah. At least. Um, it, and also, I, I'm I'm upset that it wasn't caught, but I love the play call. That's what I expected out of a, a Garrett offense with Daniel Jones. Play action and then just a heave with one-on-one coverage on the outside to our speed guy. Oh, my God. It's, it's as if he finally got my playbook in the mail. Well, the play action now is starting to be, you know, relevant and effective because we have little signs of life of a running game, and we want to give one of our stars out right now. Let's get that start of Wayne Gallman. Okay. I mean, Wayne Gallman is, you know, this not all of a sudden is the greatest offensive line of all time. It's playing better. There's still not much to work with, and he is making the most of every little nook and cranny that's, you know, an every extra second the offensive line is giving him and he's making something out of nothing. And, and, and for doing that, um, he gets a star in my book. Dang. All right. Um, I gave, uh, okay. So on the defensive side of the ball, you know, this was a game where Daniel Jones goes down with injury and it's still close, right? I mean, you have the kickoff return. Jones isn't able to punch it in to finish that drive. Um, and now this game falls squarely on the defense to not blow it. At this point, they have the lead. There's not much scoring that's probably going to happen after this on the Giants' side of the ball. The defense needs to come up big. And, I, I mean, I can't not give a star to Nico Lelos for his – I mean, it's not sure. just a pick. I mean, it was – that's a great athletic play for a guy who played like nine snaps. Sure. Um, I mean, what a catch. And it's such a critical point. That was right after the injury. You know, this is a close game because of the kickoff return for a touchdown. You know, absolutely athletic play. Talk about a guy who makes the most out of every opportunity, like you're saying Victor Cruz did so so many years ago. Um, that that I mean, just the timing, the play itself, all of it was great. And you know, congratulations to that guy. I can't not give him a star. I mean, based on his snaps to to production rate, it was yeah, pretty good. So. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, 
And I'm also going to credit this one as like a dual shared star to Jabal Sheard and Leonard Williams. Same exact scenario. I mean, now we're looking at a two-point game. We've just given up a bad punt return, and we'll, we'll get to that shit. Uh, and I'm, I, I know – I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there thinking, I can't believe this. This is really how it's going to end. And first play, sack fumble by Jabal Sheard, recovered by Leonard Williams – Sealed the game right there. I thought for sure they were about to blow this because all they have to do is all they have to do is get what 15, 20 yards and they're in field goal range for it. Felt like, certainly felt like losers loses on the horizon for yeah. something like that. But I wasn't panicking, but I definitely it's like when you're you know you're in the summertime and you hear a little rumbling of thunder, like oh, there's probably in a half hour a thunderstorm is coming, and you hear the rumbling getting a little louder. Well. Losers lose. There's was rumbling for quite a bit there, but you know, unfortunately, you know, no problems. So it was. I mean, again, another one of the things we talked about for this team. Part of the way to to build the winning culture is, you know, ending losers lose and learning how to win. I mean, winning doesn't mean winning every game by fifty points and being aesthetically beautiful and and in your, you know the tape you want to send to Canton for enshrinement, it's about getting the job done. And, you know, the NFC East is not about style points this year. It's not, it's not at all. This, this team is not about style points. It is about when the game is over, you have at least one more point in the team you just played for three hours. And, you know, I don't care that it was Cincinnati. I don't care it's their backup quarterback. I don't care about any of that nonsense. At the end of the day, they had a win. And... They are learning how to win and win the right way too. You know, it's playing relatively clean games, relatively smart games, uh, not throwing. They're going to lose games going forward. And I think this is a great sign because the other team is better than them, not because they are losing games. It's a big, big, big difference. You know, some teams just blow it. You know, San San, uh, San I was gonna say San Diego. The LA Chargers have a horrible record because they lose games. They're not worse than all these teams they've lost to. They lose. Their losers lose. This team, I think, when you know, if they lose to Seattle, if they lose to Baltimore, if they lose to Arizona, those teams are better than us, and that's okay. We we understand that. That's part of it. You rebuild to get your team, your 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 talent level better. Yes. You, you can't rebuild to – the only thing you can rebuild to not lose a game is get the coaching right. Right? I mean – Yeah, I mean during a regular season all you can do is if somebody gets hurt, you get the right guy off the scrap heap and, you know – or if your offensive line coach wants to fight you, you get rid of him or, you know, whatever that is. But you're right. I mean once the season starts, that's the hand you're dealt with and you have to manipulate those chess pieces on the chessboard. The rebuilding, you know, as soon as the season's over, when you start really making changes to your roster. But like I said, you know, again, they are not losing. They are not losing games because of them. And that's a good sign. Now, they may go 0-4 the next four games, and everybody's going to go apeshit again. And fire Gettleman all of a sudden when no one's saying fire Gettleman today. But it's because we're playing four teams that are better than us. So keep that in mind. And in perspective, as we as we go through this stretch run, you know, throughout the, the month of December. Absolutely. Um, did you did you have any other stars to hand out? 
Um, I will give a collective. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to give him a star because of his lineage, but uh, having an automatic field goal kicker is pretty important. I'll say I, I have him listed as an honorable mention. Yeah, I you know I, I, I usually I just give the special teams a collective star, but Can't they get a fart and a half today. So, but uh, you know. It's, it's especially in 2020 when this is such a wonky league and these games are so screwy and crazy. Uh, you know, hitting field goals, you know, guaranteed lock field goals, hitting all your extra points, all these different things are they're you're not thought of. They're not, you know, you take them for granted. And, uh, you know, especially if we're going to if we're not really sure who's going to be our quarterback for the next couple of weeks or if. Daniel Jones not 100%, and you know there's no Saquon Barkley and all these things. These games can become a, a a question of field position and what do you do in field position and shortening the field so you can hit a field goal and winning games with field goals. So, you know, Graham Cano is doing all he can to tighten that up for the Giants to make the field shorter and the game, you know, faster. So they give us the, the best position to, to win. Four, his four field goals were the difference in this game. Again, again, his field goals were the difference in between winning and losing, um, at least as far as the scoreboard goes. On top of that, I mean, you know, you talk about all the craziness this year and how good it is to have an automatic kicker. That dude was activated off the COVID list. Yeah. He was practicing in a hotel room because he was quarantined because he was sick. And he had symptoms, too. He was not asymptomatic test positive. Uh, we spent he, we spent valuable time on last the last episode of this show talking about you know, we have a two-way kicker, a punter kicker we might have to use. Yeah. You know, we, we both did not figure he was going to be playing. And it's a good thing he did. I'm not sure that Ryan Santoso makes all four of those. Some of those, one of them was, at, at least one of them was pretty far away. If I'm well, well, here's the thing. He may or may not make those, but I think it completely changes your coaching decisions. Are you going to go for it on fourth sure. down? You know, like, oh, you know, you know, can hit this. That's in his range one as opposed to... 49 yards. Yeah. I mean, if you have a guy who's an emergency fill-in who's, you know, you may be going for it there. You're changing your offense. And, oh, Colt McCoy is now your quarterback? That changes everything as well. So it's this season, the rest of the way, the the final five games are going to be a war of attrition for every single team. You never know when all of a sudden you're going to lose a player, a skill position guy, a skill position uh, room, uh, your game might be at you know Wednesday at at five o'clock, like what's happening with uh with with Pittsburgh. Uh, so when you have weapons like that, that that you know you may think of as one of the last spots on the roster, but they're some of the most important spots of the roster going forward. And we're lucky we have one of those right now. For the longest time, the Cowboys stayed relevant because even when their offense wasn't doing great, they had Dan Bailey. And he was as automatic as they came from, like, 40-plus. And, they, you know, you'd get there and, you know, you'd be playing the field position battle. They start at their own 30, and all they have to do is get some 30 yards, and they're getting points. And it didn't matter that you stopped them. I mean, sometimes 30 yards is one play. Well, think of, you know, you longtime Giant fans remember 1990, the, the, the third Super Bowl. I mean, that team was not a, a, a you know, fireworks every week. They won a lot of games 15, 13, you know, 12, 9. It was, you know, Matt Barr hitting field goals, being automatic. You know, if it's a 44-yarder, a, a it was good. 
you just knew that. Shorten the game. And that's what they're trying to do. So, um, yeah, it's it's an unsung part of the game that you take for, completely for granted until the guy misses. And fortunately, right now we have somebody that we can count on. And you know, we have that cold January playoff game in the Meadowlands. It'll be nice to know we have a kicker who we can rely on. Yeah, um, I would say he's playing probably at a Pro Bowl level this year. I would say so. he's played 24 in a row. He's made them. That certainly sounds like a a Pro Bowler to me. I mean, Mark Mosley. Mark Mosley won the MVP in '82 or '83 for Washington. I think he hit like 25 in a row, and he was the MVP of the league. Yeah, that's pretty insane. My, that's how, very my insane. how the game has changed. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Washington was relevant. <laughs> oh, burn! They also had a team Ouch. name and everything. Ouch. Um, on the flip side of things, special teams as a whole, outside of Graham Gano and Riley Dixon, Riley Dixon uh, also had a really good game, by the way. Um, the rest of special teams, the coverage, the fart. return, that was the most Thanksgiving fart I can give. That's yeah. like one Oof. where I'm kind of clenching and running to the bathroom. That wasn't a homemade stuffing fart. That was a stovetop stuffing <laughs> fart, and it was awful. Yeah, the, the, the cranberry sauce in a can thing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this was as if, the only way they could have lost this game like going into it was to have an absolute breakdown in special teams and they were so close to having an absolute breakdown. I mean, right off the bat, they march down the field in their first offensive possession. They come away with seven. Great. Perfect. Then you kick the ball off and immediately give the seven right back on a 103-yard kickoff return. And not only was it, you know, it's not like it was a missed tackle here and there. The lane I could have driven my car through. I mean, without problem. Um, Mm -hmm. it it was an absolute total breakdown and all night the special teams was just kind of all our return game was a fucking mess it's kind of been a mess Um, but then on top of that the very end of the game our final punt with less than a minute on the clock I think um, we nearly gave up a touchdown there and it was Cam Brown that made a very insane tackle that saved that fought off a blocker and then a diving sh- uh, shoestring tackle um, that saved a touchdown. Otherwise, we, we would be having a very different podcast right now. It'd be very frustrating because, you know, even with, you know, you would think, well, we have no offense, you know, without our quarterback. Defense is playing lights out. All the things are positive and to lose in the, you know, of all things special teams, which, you know, we kind of want to lay our, you know, the Joe Judge lay his hat on because he's a special team guy and everything for half these meltdowns, which makes me think that these type of things will be corrected going forward. Yeah. Just believe me. I'm sure he, you know, on that plane ride back to New York, I'm sure he had a word or two to say to somebody about yeah, that. I think so. special teams were mighty quiet on that plane. Um, yes. <laughs> I actually had a, a tweet to that effect was that the reason I was okay with this win being not so glamorous is I knew that a guy like Joe Judge was going to give it to special teams for the entire week. Um, Listen, this is week 11 of a season where we're lucky we have football. The Giants are fighting for a playoff spot at the same time of a rebuild. I'm not going to complain about any well, wins no, yeah, exactly. against anybody. When yeah. we say a win is a win is a win, obviously we can say that there are some dangerous trends here and there, whatever. And I don't think there were any dangerous trends that emerged in this game that made us almost lose it. But right now, 
the, as we're recording this, the Philadelphia Eagles are fighting to actually recover first place. You know why? Because of a fucking tie. Yeah. So when we say a win is a win, we mean it. A win is a win. At the end of the day, a win is a win. I have another fart though, and that this is—I would not say that this is a uh, bad trend or, or anything of that nature, but not having Matt Parrott for this game, I think if he were available, I think Cam Fleming might have been pulled from this game. He—he uh, he, he, he was not great in this game. He had some holding calls only at the most critical times and the stupidest false start I've ever seen. Too often I see this bullshit where linemen try to use the hard count where like, you know, you see a defender jump across the line and get back and then like three seconds later an offensive lineman does the the movement thing to like, oh, I was reacting to him because he jumped across. Like, that was so clearly late, his reaction to that. I'm glad they called it on him because as an objective viewer of this game, there was just such a whack move. You know what I mean? Like, you're not reacting to him. He he barely... I'm not even sure if he jumped across the line or if he just kind of jumped to the line. It was just stupid. He's just such an idiot. Like, it was an unnecessary risk. Cam Fleming is what he is. I, that's fine, but that doesn't... That does not stop him from being fart-eligible. Oh, of course. Oh, he's certainly uh, fart-worthy, but, I mean... I, I saw a lot of vitriol on, on, on Twitter during the game about, you know, Cam Fleming's the worst. It's like, let's remember something. When, when this season, during this offseason, you know, there were, there were three starting spots on this offensive line that had to be addressed. Right. They addressed one with, you know, one of the first picks in the draft. They, they rolled the dice at center. Yeah, and it, it seemed and, to work. Which, you know, again, let's, you know, we're going to put that in the column for Dave Gettleman. If you want to fire him, well, let's also say I that. I think you can put it in the Joe Judge column as well. Someone's got to coach him well, up. But he's, you know, uh, it seems like it's a diamond in the rough. It was a real, and we were concerned. We I was, for sure, yeah. Last year's, you know, when we were doing our debriefing shows after the season and what our big concerns were was center, scared us, and, you know, so far so good. And right tackle. You know, it turns out it was the other thing that we need to address. And you can't – you only have X amount of resources to address everything all at once. So, you know, Cam Fleming, unfortunately, is the uh, the stopgap that's not been as successful as, you know, uh, th- some of the other moves. And, you know, it will be addressed this offseason. So when we see these things like I don't want to see him next year or this, he's not going to be back next year, not in this capacity. Um, well, I mean, but, there's nothing to say that it wasn't already addressed with Matt Parrott. I mean, he's just a guy true. who's coming out of UConn. He was going to take some time. Um, it and may be already addressed. Point. It's just one of those things you got to invest some time in, and Cam Fleming is that stopgap while Parrott develops. Or you just see what a, you have with Parrott. And, and that's the thing, too. I guess now that you know the giant fan base all of a sudden is playoff fever, they don't – you know, they have forgotten – where we are in our development, where we should be, and what we're trying to do. Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, we're not going to win the division having this guy. It's like, yeah, well, that kind of been, has been thrust upon us. But, you know, we can't just pull a right tackle out of thin air. It's not going to happen. Um, so we just have to kind of roll with him for the rest of the year and, and see what happens. And then, you know, see if Perry is, is, is ready to take on the, the starting role next year or, you know, 
Is Nate Solder fit in, into this anywhere? So uh, people get shuffled around. I mean, it probably won't be back, but you never know. So we have to see what kind of uh, you know what groceries uh, you know the chefs bring back to uh, from the from the grocery store for us to play with. My last fart, I, I downgraded from fart to dishonorable mention because I felt it was a little bit unfair. But it's going to be Jason Garrett, and the reason why it's. I think once your starting quarterback goes out, it's a little unfair to attack the game plan for a quarter and a half because I didn't really know what the fuck the game plan was. It was such a bizarre mix of one drive was this vertical passing game and then leaning on the run and doing some play action, everything that was working really well. And then this really dumbass conservative quick passing plan when there was no pressure being put on by the Bengals, so no reason to do it, and we're throwing everything right into the teeth of their defense. We have all these short three-yard routes where we have guys like Sterling Shepard being leveled by linebackers. You know, here they are weak in the back end, and they're not getting any rush. Keep Jones back there in the pocket. There was no reason not to do that. And, you know, these were some of these tip passes were all almost interceptions, that it, again, would be credited to Daniel Jones, and then we'd have to spend all this time about how he's he's not really that bad with his turnovers. I don't know what we're doing on offense, whatever. And, you know, this was the game to put pressure on a team that sucks with a backup quarterback. We went over it. You know, you put the pedal to the metal against this team. You put the points on the board early, and you make them try and score points with the backup quarterback. They can't run the and ball. And going against their green. I mean— Going, make them, make them play left-handed. Make them out of their comfort zone. And I, 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 you see it a lot in college. You know that's why these teams like Bamming, Clemson, Ohio State, why, you know they have these gaudy numbers because they come out at gangbusters. Oh, yeah. They're going to bomb First away. Play of the game, they'll go down. They're me. looking for mismatches immediately, and they're looking to you know put you down fourteen nothing. So whatever game plan, especially if you're a significantly inferior team, you know. So much for running the ball and, 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 and chewing up clock and, and slowing the game down. You're down 14 nothing like that. You have to pretty much throw the game plan out the window and start doing things that you're not comfortable with. We didn't do that. No, and didn't. what we're trying to do, you know, in this first year is we're trying to, we're, we're, we're learning what our head coach is like as well. And, you know, you can start getting patterns where, you know, is he a guy that likes to, Pedal to the metal for beginning, you know, does he like to, you know, not run up the score, but for 60 minutes, apply pressure to a defense? Or is he someone that once he gets a lead, whether it may be not comfortable enough for our fan base or anybody and just likes to sit on it and just do things that, you know, to prevent the turnover, prevent the big mistake. So we're, we're still learning what the personality is of Joe Judge and how he how he runs his ship and you know what a giant team will be like going forward if they're up by 6 13 18 in a, in a game. So this is all kind of we're feeling him out as well. I will say in defense of Jason Garrett is that it seemed like he had found a rhythm finally when Daniel Jones got hurt. I mean they were in the red zone. I think they, if they were in the red zone they were right outside of it when Jones got hurt, and then everything kind of goes out the window. They they seem to have found that rhythm, and I do think that this game was going to become a runaway if Jones stays in the game, and that didn't happen. So I, I had to downgrade it there because I, I think that they had figured it out finally. And, um, you know. I have nothing on, on uh, 
he's another guy I think people are just looking to complain about something where the criticism that he gets during a game, I mean, there's some things, it seems like we're trying to do the kitchen sink in these games now. We see, we see a lot of these still the jet sweeps. We see the fleet flickers. We see the trickery and stuff that may, may not be necessary. There was one drive but, where we did a, a throwback and a jet sweep back to back. What the hell are we doing against a bad team right now? I mean, are we, are we well, in I mean, ball state? Like, what is happening? Well, I think, I think the running game. You know, we've seen we've seen some green shoots with the running game, but I'm not exactly sure they completely trust this offensive line or this running game to do the yeoman's work that's necessary just yet. So I think, you know, when you see these trick plays, especially around the red zone, they're trying to, you know, keep the uh, the defense off balance as much as possible to give you know the traditional running game any little advantage it can. So. Um, you know, I, they haven't been colossal failures or disasters ca- causing turnovers. They may not be very successful, but you know, whatever. I mean, I, I, I can't get on his case like that. Uh, I think Garrett's done a great job this year for what he's been asked of him, uh, getting, you know, this, getting this offense kind of coherent and, uh, you know, Working with Daniel Jones, you know, an offensive line is that's that's getting better. Uh, no, I just I'm I want to say I'm pleasantly surprised with with Garrett, but I knew he was a pretty decent op- offensive coordinator back when. He's not a good head coach, but uh, he's been fine in my book. I, you know, I, I just think that what works. Like you said, it's very kitchen sink right now, and I'm not sure what the reason is. Again, I, I don't claim to be a coach. I don't know everything, especially about what this team does in practice. But everything that seems to work seems to be the things I said were going to work. And everything that isn't working are things that I would tell you won't work. Uh, so it, that's, to me, where my, my issues with him lie. Now, I will say also that he, you know, what you say about him getting nonstop hate on Twitter is a little obscene. But um, well, I also think, too, that not every play is in among itself. I mean, he might be doing things also to set up other things later on down, down the road in a game too. So again, every time you see one play, don't put it in its own little vacuum of like, that was the stupidest player that will never work. He could be trying to be setting up something that will work. And it'd be maybe predicated on showing a look for something from before. So give a little grain of salt for, you know, those type of things that you see. Um, well, now we're going to move into the injury itself. So Daniel Jones went down in the third quarter on a designed run, uh, very strange looking injury. Um, it, he looked fine. He kind of went down, uh, looked like he knew he was going to get tackled and just kind of went down face forward. And then it's almost like he like somebody landed on his legs and then he went up grabbing the back of his leg, which that's not usually how a hamstring is suffered. That's usually pulled trying to run at top speed when you're not fully stretched or or if it's very cold out. Yeah, that's not a bruise because you get smashed into it. It's usually cause of, you know, the the leg turning away it's not supposed to turn. Yeah, yeah. Or or just the muscle being stretched to the point where it kind of flips or something like that. Uh or or tears in very severe cases, obviously. You know, he kind of got up and was just kind of walking around limping and went to the very next play, and you could see immediately that he didn't have the mobility he normally has, and then just kind of, 
it looked like he like front footed it fade away kind of throw and yeah. it really didn't even make it off to the sideline it had to go down I don't know how he completed that pass and then kind of came in on the next series after Colt McCoy's the rest of the drive stalled they kicked a field goal, defensive series, and then he came back in there, did one play. But so, very strange injury. Um, and um, for about 24 hours, Giants fans held their breath collectively. Uh, we got some decent enough news today is that the strain appeared to have uh, avoided a major injury. He's day-to-day, which is kind of what I expected to hear, to be honest with you. Um, there, there is no significant – there's no tear or anything of that matter – um, I'm thinking that it's very unlikely that Daniel Jones plays Sunday against the Seahawks, but he has not been ruled out based on his MRI results. I also, you know, if we're looking, you know, objectively at the next four games, I mean, it, our, our odds of winning next week seem low relative to everything else we get going on this week. And I'd rather have him, I'd rather have him healthier at a higher percentage of health in those next three games than lower percentage for the next four coming up. So I am completely fine if they want to sit him. Um, I also am thinking with one eye on the big picture in the long term, where if he's got something that could be aggravated to something far worse and he's playing, you know, I don't want to see him missing a year. Right. Because something really got jacked up, you know, in the effort to be the last playoff spot. I mean, we, we, this is almost like a dress rehearsal for a, a playoff run right now. You know, we want to do all the things and learn how to do that. But I don't uh, – I would not be risking my franchise quarterback just in that pursuit of trying to get that last playoff spot. I would agree with that, yeah. Um, you know, we were talking uh, logistically about the, 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 the toughest path to the playoffs the Giants are going to have to do. The, the bare minimum of what's going to be necessary – is to win two more games, right? Uh, I think, first of all, one of those games is going to have to be against Dallas because division game, there's a good chance that Dallas is going to end up record-wise tying us and splitting that head-to-head matchup is essential so that we can go to the division record as the tiebreaker and make it 4-2, to two, which I think would be, at that point, Dallas would be it would be impossible for them even if they win the rest of their division games and then lose to the Giants they would still have a worse division record I think right. um, so they would that which means that they would have to win one of the next four which is Seattle Arizona Baltimore Cleveland one and I think that that's I think that that's possible well, let's put it this way if we want to make the playoffs. A playoff team has to win at least one of those four games. Yeah. I mean, if we can't win those four games, why are we having this conversation? So, you know, I, I, the bottom line is you have to earn your way into the playoffs, no matter how bad the rest of your division is and what your record is. You you have to earn it. So, you know, I think they're going to have to win two of them to get in. I mean, like I said, what I what I elicit is the bare minimum. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have the tiebreaker with Washington. Um, you know, win that last game against Dallas. I They'll have split, but I think we've had a better division record. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think two more wins will get them in. But, you know, again, that's easier said than done. And this team is nowhere good enough to kind of assume and pen 
they're beating anybody. Well, there's no assumption. I mean, we we had to caution people not to assume that this Bengals game was going to be a win, and here we are with two points ending that game and a, and a very, very good tackle that saved it from being a loss. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that said, um, you know, you could probably say if Daniel Jones can get back in shape and at full, we'll just say 90% himself because I don't think anyone is 100% in a football season, just saying. Um, yeah. That Browns game, December 20th, that's the best shot for them to win. You win that one, you win against the Cowboys. That's your lowest way to get in. But that doesn't mean that winning with Colt McCoy is off the table. I'm not going to sit here and sing the praises of Colt McCoy. But what I am going to say is there is a massive difference, a massive difference between being the guy off the bench to quarterback a team and being the guy who gets a full week of reps and a full week of game planning tailored to their skill set and their first team reps to play the next game. Those are massively different things. So what we saw of Colt McCoy is probably not what we're going to see of Colt McCoy going forward if he needs to play. Oh, of course. I mean, you will you will take the playbook and you will tailor it around what he does best and what he knows. I mean, even during a regular week of practice, Colt McCoy is getting some reps in, and he, but he's not going through the whole playbook. He's They have specific plays for him in case of emergency. So, you know, we'll go with that more. So I, um, I don't know. I think, uh, we, we always say on this show, when you go to your backup quarterback for an extended period of time, your season's probably over as it is. So we just got to hope that this is just a very short term stopgap until Jones is ready again. Right. And, and I'm going to say another thing. People are already trashing the shit out of Colt McCoy saying that if Daniel Jones is going to be injury-prone because he missed a game last year, um, he broke a collarbone at Duke, um, then we're going to need a better caliber backup quarterback. Cole McCoy is not a bad backup quarterback. I mean, it was not no. that long ago that he was drafted out of Texas. He was one of the better quarterbacks in the nation at the time. Was he a franchise quarterback? No. Are you going to get a franchise quarterback to be a backup quarterback? Probably not. I mean... Those no, guys are like the guys who – like Jameis Winston's of the world. There aren't very many of those who are on their second chance backup quarterback kind of situation. Jameis Winston is right now – he's just circling the airport waiting for a, a airport to land in right now. That's that's why he's in New Orleans. And he – you know, unfortunately for him, you know, made a poor decision because, you know, he's not starting <laughs> when they, you know, the, 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 the starting quarterback is out. He was not the guy they said you're going in and suiting up and playing. So he's in a bit of a, you know, a, a tough spot for him, but, but that may be because of him. That, that's true. You don't, you don't, you don't know. Um, yeah. It, it backup quarterback is not a position you're going to spend a lot of resources on and, and also invest a lot of time with, you know, that's, that's not the way the game works. There's the, with a salary cap and, how they've cut down on practice time. It's it's just, he's there as an emergency to get you through a game and get you through a couple of weeks. If a quarterback is out for the year, gets knocked out in week four, your season's over. You know, it's it's just pretty much a fact. The the Matt Castle stories of the, of the history books are very few and far between. Yeah. And you know, the Scott Mitchell's of the world, they, they come in and do a good job and, get the big contracts and flame out after. I mean, it's, yeah, uh, I mean, there's a million stories like that. So, uh, 
you know, I did see that uh, a report we might be bringing back Alex Tanny. Mm-hmm. He was in the building. Uh, again, but by the time I don't he know, goes but... through COVID protocols, he will not have that much practice. I think he yeah, won't even it... be ready until Saturday. And it doesn't matter, you know, if he's familiar with the Giants and the building and stuff. This is a whole different offense. He was not involved in this offense. You know, it's it. From last year to this year is a million years ago in, you know, in, in, in COVID, you know, dates and things. So, and again, it, it's because you're a Giant fan and you know who he is, you might be excited about him coming back. There's a reason why he's only thrown a handful of passes in his long career. Yeah. He's, he's being groomed to be a coach at some point, not to be a, a quarterback. Yeah. And, and to reiterate Colt McCoy is not a bad quarterback. He is a guy who can throw the ball. You know, he is not a guy who's going to go in there and can only hand off. He's not. He's not a terrible quarterback. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Colt McCoy is probably playing next week, and I think that they can devise a game plan to stay competitive with Seattle. I mean, even as we're watching this Seahawks Eagles game, it's you know not a blowout by any measure. I mean, we're looking at a barely two score game right now. The Giants don't have an offense like what you know Burrow is doing, or some of these high, high-powered offenses where it relies on the quarterback throwing forty-five times and getting four hundred yards. And you know that's that's not what we are just yet. You know, as we are rolling out the playbook, it's still close to the vest, so that should help him out as well. That we're not dumbing down an offense that's kind of on training wheels now to be getting in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. The- the short and intermediate passing game is kind of what we're working with right now. I mean, much to my chagrin, but it just is what it is. Um, but that doesn't mean that Colt McCoy can't throw one to two deep balls a game. Well, I would say uh, yeah. five deep balls a game, you know, accurately. And, on- and, and those are, and they don't have to be completed necessarily. They are just to get, give them something to think about. So you're not, they're not going to creep, you know, 10 guys on the line every single play. So with that, we're going to have a pregame episode recorded on Thursday, uh, ready for you Friday morning, which will include, obviously, injury updates for Daniel Jones, as he is, in fact, day-to-day. So there is, I mean, I can't say there isn't a chance that he plays on Sunday. So, I mean, I don't know any more than you guys do. So I'm going into the mindset we will not see him and be pleasantly surprised if we do. I just, I think, again... This coaching staff is not going to risk any long-term damage in a all-out sprint to make this playoff, and um, I think they'll they'll be using caution from him, from you know, from the rest of the way with with that injury. Yeah, I think so too. But like I said on on Friday morning, you'll have a new episode detailing how this how this game against the Seahawks can be won, how the Giants can keep their momentum into a we get a four-game winning streak. That would be pretty nice. Um, and, uh, you know, what Daniel Jones's outlook looks like. Even if it has nothing to do with that game, you know, if his outlook looks like that he'll play against Arizona, then we will give you that update then and our thoughts uh, about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and in the interim, as this kind of information trickles out throughout the day, throughout the week, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. Catch me as always on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. A lot of information, a lot of smack talking, a lot of 
superiority complex I will be showing out this week with everybody in first place. There you go. <laughs> and as always, this podcast can be can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, you name it, it's out there. Give it a follow and um, you'll get all these episodes in your queue waiting for you every Tuesday and Friday morning. We are uh... – this is what we haven't had in a long time, gang. We have a playoff race, and uh, something to talk about. It's pretty exciting. I mean, you're going to see, uh, you know, this is going to be a rocky road the next four weeks. We're playing, we're playing good teams. We are playing playoff teams. So, you know, let's not get back on the fire everybody bandwagon if they lose on on Sunday or lose two in a row or, or even worse. I mean, this team is overachieving what we expected it to do. We're seeing, you know. We we are seeing development, which we were hoping for. We hadn't seen in our last two coaches. So try to enjoy the final month of the season and not look at everything as, you know, Super Bowl or bust because you're going to be miserable. So let's let, let's start that with this Sunday. Let's keep the positive vibes going. Yeah, man. All right, everyone. We will see you on Friday morning. Go Giants. Go Giants.